We are in the first week of baseball. Uh, by the time this this podcast goes up, we are going to have pitchers and catchers reporting and blurry video from the back of uh, hills far away from bullpens. And baseball is here. And to talk about it, I have my friend, Carrie Crowley, for another K-Raj podcast. Carrie, my friend, how are you doing on this fine post-Super Bowl morning? Yeah, I, Roger... I think I'd be a lot more excited if pitchers and catchers were reporting. If the 49ers hadn't crumbled in the Super Bowl for the third time in my lifetime, I was talking with my friends this morning. We were texting throughout the game and calling each other. And I think it just gets harder as you get older. I don't think it gets any easier to watch watch your favorite team lose. And I mean, I cover the Giants. I love the 49ers. Like that is... That's, that's a difference for me. And so seeing them lose in 2012, 2019, and now again in 2023, uh, I don't know. It just, I guess it makes you appreciate the the great moments, like three titles in five years, which is uh, something Giants fans are familiar with. I, I have had a lot of, why do I do this to myself? Uh, thought today, I literally was sitting up in my house last night at two in the morning playing Sudoku on my computer just to get my like heartbeat down and my brain quieted. And then when I did get off to sleep, I dreamt of, you know, punts hitting feet. And, uh, and I uh, just, uh, I'm overwhelmed by what a load of meant of uh, emotional liability sports fandom is and i don't know why i do it so exactly should we talk some san francisco giants let's do it let's talk <laughs> about the uh the team that has had the 49ers providing cover for them for the greater <laughs> bay area and northern california sports fan huh <laughs> um I, I, so I, I think there are two things i really want to talk about today one is when is the dam going to break um, for all of the major league veterans and how's that going to look? Um, but the other that I am thinking more and more and more about is, you know, the Giants released their non-roster invitation list between the non-roster list and the 40 man list. This huge group of pitchers from double AA, a triple a major league. It's very, very, very clear where it's coming into clarity that this is the, this is the flag this franchise is going to carry forward to be successful. Um, and I want to talk about that too. So I'll, I'll, I'll pitch it up to you. Which, which way would you like to go roster uh, filling start, with veterans or young pitching? <laughs> let's start with young pitching because this is something that's been on my mind ever since the raw stripling trade, which was made what I presume was to clear, you know, space to sign a veteran free agent and to create an opportunity to potentially bring in a Blake Snell or a trade acquisition to fortify the rotation. We're now, what, 10, 11 days past that trade and the Giants haven't made a move. And you look at their non-roster invites and it's Carson Wisenhunt, it's Landon Roop, it's Reggie Crawford. It's all these young arms who are going to play a major role in the organization moving forward. And I have to say, Roger, I don't think that this is a strategy that I would recommend the Giants use. You know, you missed the postseason two years in a row. I don't think you go all in on kids to try to get back to the postseason, but it is far more interesting to me. And it is far more compelling to me to not watch 
Anthony DiScofani, Alex Wood, and Ross Stripling, and to watch Tristan Beck and Mason Black and Keaton Wynn and Kyle Harrison. Is it malpractice to send all these guys out there expecting 150 innings right now? Maybe, but is it far more interesting to plant your flag and say, this is the future of the organization? Unequivocally, I would rather watch these these guys pitch than Ross Tripling pitch. So I just can't believe that this is the gamble that the Giants are poised to make right now. <laughs> it's it's so fascinating. Uh, and I'll, I definitely want to give them props because, you know, as I said all along, that they're not that interested in depth, that they believe in the, these arms and they're putting their money where their mouth is by essentially kicking all the training wheels off the roster. Um, mm-hmm. You know, getting rid of Stripling and Disco and, and not re-signing Junis. I mean, they really are doing what they said they were doing. I started going thinking about just just looking at Giants' history of sort of big innings loads for rookies, um, yeah. which is not – you don't find a lot of it. And where you do, it's not very successful. Um, and if you look at the roster, I mean, you're talking five, 600 innings right now that have to be carried, which is something, you know, the Giants haven't done since the, like the 70s. But then I started thinking, well, what's the rest of baseball doing? And actually looking at that, you know, um, the Cleveland Guardians got about 600 innings from rookies last year. Um, the Mariners who have a lot of in common with, with the giants have had about a thousand innings taken up by rookies over the last three years combined. The Dodgers got about 400 innings from rookies last year wow. without giving any, uh, Bobby Miller had the most with like 120. And so I'm starting to think about how other clubs are looking at pitching development. And I, this morning I went through, I was actually reading old scouting reports and I won't kind of like play a game with you or bore you, but I was looking at the scouting reports of Christian Javier, Framber Valdez, Jose Arquiti, yes. and Louis Garcia, all of whom were like five, $10,000 signings. If you look at their old scouting reports, it's fringy stuff, could be a spot starter, probably a bullpen arm, maybe a fifth guy. And Houston developed them into a pretty significant core of a world series winning team. And Pete Patillo was the farm director who was helping do that when they were saying, we don't need pitching because we believe in the guys we have. And I think what's interesting is, and and Seattle's kind of the same way, like Bryce Miller, great fastball, nothing else. Um, And Tanner Bybee in Cleveland, really great slider and fringy fastball. A lot of teams are getting these guys who are not huge prospects and turning them into valuable major leaguers, I think through really good development and also application of data, right? This pitch plays really well in this part of the strike zone, throw it there more often. That's a lot of what teams are doing. And I think that's where the giants are heading. They're saying we've got these guys and yeah, the industry isn't looking and saying Mason black or Landon Roop or any of these guys are like middle rotation starters, but they've got something and we can figure out how to use it and put it in combination with all these other guys, and you get enough of those, and sooner or later, the value starts accreting. I think that's what they're doing, and it really is fascinating. Yeah, well, you mentioned something really interesting there, and not only do I love the Astros comparison, just because I love the way that the Astros built that rotation. I mean, international signees, you take chances on these guys, five, $10,000 signings, and the way that it worked out for the Astros, 
it'll probably never happen that way for another organization. Or it's, you know, a once in a generation type thing for a franchise where that type of a, a international signing group pans out and becomes, you know, the bedrock of your, your foundation or your foundation for your rotation. It's just incredible what they've done. But what was interesting to me is you talk about the Dodgers and how they got 400 plus innings out of rookies and they did it without using any of their rookies for more than about 120 innings. And that to me is going to be critical for the giants this year, because I think that they're going to start out relying heavily on Harrison on Beck on Wynn, and very quickly, you know, you're going to know what you have in Alex Cobb when he comes back from an injury. And is he someone who's still that number two, still that number three, someone who's reliable every fifth day coming off of this hip surgery or is this the Alex Cobb of old who's going to be off and on the injured list and maybe not quite as effective as he was uh, with the uptick in his velocity his first few years as a member of the Giants? Then Robbie Ray in July, you're going to find out very quickly when he starts his Tommy John comeback, hey, does he have his velocity back? Is his command anywhere near it was uh, a few years ago? Because that's the, the one thing that guys will say when they come back from Tommy John surgery is, hey, my command actually took a full year to come back after I came back. From surgery. So I, I think that the Giants' plans are to have Harrison Beck and win in this rotation, but it's going to be Black. It's going to be Roop. It's going to be Wisenhunt. It's going to be Birdsong. It's going to be a lot of guys who we're going to get a great peek at during spring training, and we're going to see exactly what the Giants want them working on with regard to what you said. This pitch in this particular spot, can you throw it against major league hitters? And if you can, You'll be on the 40 man and you'll be expected to provide innings this year. And if you can't, they're going to start cycling through people because there is no stripling. There is no De Sclafani. There is no, you know, the, the past few years, Cueto or Samarja to soak up those innings. The Giants have removed the, uh, the gutters from the bowling alley and <laughs> they're just saying, have at it, you know? Well, I, and I, I think one other thing that, Definitely that Houston example shows, but all these examples, certainly the Dodgers. The other thing that Houston did with these guys is they weren't just going out there and throwing five, six innings every day. They were throwing three innings. They might be coming yes. in from the bullpen and throwing three innings. If they got in trouble, someone else came in to take over. It's not rotation with the capital R like we're used to. It's much more just weaponizing and mixing and matching just the way Gabe Kapler talked about. And that is maybe, I mean, the Dodgers, you know, Saris keeps talking about the Dodgers essentially having rolled out a soft six-man rotation for the last two years without telling anybody just because of the way they work around their injuries. Um, and I think that's kind of more and more the way things are going. So how that's going to work with the new pitching staff uh, or the new coaching staff is is kind of an interesting part of this too, because I don't think the Giants are done with their bullpenning machinations with all these arms. No, certainly not. I mean, you can take Gabe Kapler out of the Giants, but you can't take uh, <laughs> you can't take the Giants out of Gabe Kapler. How's that in? Uh, but but if you give Bob Melvin the same roster or a roster that requires even more active management, you're going to hear the same critiques from Giants fans. You're going to hear the same criticisms of 
hey, why is Ryan Walker starting for the third time in five days? <laughs> or, uh, you know, John Brebby is not around to make 15 starts this year, but I'm sure Luke Jackson could step into that role if the Giants feel confident one day about Jordan Hicks moving from the rotation back to the bullpen. So, uh, yeah, and Jordan Hicks himself is a two, three inning guy at the start of the season. They say 75 pitches. How realistic is that coming out of spring training? Do you really want a guy who hasn't done that at the major league level to be built up to 75 by the end of March? I don't see that. So I, I don't know. They've got Bob Melvin, who was expected to bring in a change in philosophy, and he may not be allowed to change that philosophy by virtue of the roster. And then they've got Brian Price, the pitching coach, who is <laughs> he's old school. Brian Price does not like openers. Brian Price does not want to have his starter come in in the second inning and pitch to the fourth inning. I, I just it's going to be fascinating to see the way that this coaching staff and Bob Melvin works in conjunction with Parhan Zaidi and Pete Patilla because there could be some real friction here. And I don't think it's out of the question, Roger, to say this could work very well for the Giants. And this might be their winning strategy to build up the core and build up the future of this organization. But it could implode in a catastrophic way. And I could see Farhan Zaidi losing his job by July if that happens. That, uh, that would be a dramatic turn of events. That, that is the far end of the spectrum. But of, I do, of- but I. <laughs> do think, going back to what you said at the beginning, the stakes of this are really high. I mean, it just seems clear that they have a lot of conviction in this strategy, but young pitching is mercurial. You know, the old rule of thumb is you need five guys to get one good major leaguer. I mean, are the stakes that either they're really, really right about this group of pitchers or three years from now, someone else is running this club? Yeah, yeah, 100% in my mind. I, I think a year to a year and a half from now, we'll know whether they're right or not. Because I'd say if they still had stripling, if Cobb was ready to go opening day, if Jordan Hicks was, you know, more like Seth Lugo in that he'd already done this transition from the bullpen to the rotation, as opposed to he's about to embark on this, then I'd say, you know, it's harder to tell. They're going to ease these guys in, but there's just no way you head into opening day. Realistically, is Kyle Harrison starting the second game of the season right now? I mean, barring a Blake Snell acquisition, I think the answer is probably I mean, yes. Yeah, probably so. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe I, three. I, don't think, <laughs> I mean, well, I mean, I mean, that's let's let's state clearly. That's a best case scenario. You get into pitchers and catchers. Someone has a lat strain. Somebody pulls a hamstring. Somebody has an oblique. That happens all the time. Yeah. One one guy gets that, and all of a sudden, you know, Mason Black and and Kaiway Tang are having a camp battle for <laughs> the fifth spot. Right. I mean. I mean, I, gosh, I was there when Ty Block threw opening day at Dodger Stadium. <laughs> By the way, a great opening day for the San Francisco Giants. Yes, one nothing. Joe Panic against Clayton Kershaw. They they liked it so much they did it again the next day. But I mean, <sighs> Highway Tang and Mason Black competing for the fifth spot is not out of the question with the way this is shaping up right now. It's so, not out of the question to compete for the third spot. I mean, stuff happens over six weeks. Yeah, it's it is an unprecedented gamble in my lifetime from the Giants rotation. You brought up by probably since the 70s, at least in terms of the amount of reliance on young pitchers. I mean, I can I can t- I'll, I'll, I'll ask you the question, Kerry. This is fun. Yeah. the only the last time the Giants had rookies throw more than 450 innings was when? 
78? 1975. 1975. Wow. When John Montefusco and Pete Falcone by themselves accounted for <laughs> 440 innings. See, this is why you can't even compare it because you've got the count taken up, what, 250 there? 250. I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, I mean, it, it's not even comparable because you're going to get. 50 innings out of nine guys to get to 450 this year. I mean, that's, that's really what, what they're looking at right now. So, I mean, I, we can be critical of Farhan Zaidi and I, I will be, I'll, I'll be vocally critical of the way he's gone about this off season, but I'd rather this than Ross Tripling and Alex Wood and Anthony DiScafani, which I mean, the A's are rolling that out this year. Yeah. So, you know. Well, and the the A's last year threw like 700 innings for rookies. So it doesn't have to go well when you try that. Um, <laughs> exactly. But I do think going back to this sort of find one weird trick that you're going to see a lot of uh, Keaton Wynn through his splitter way, way more than anybody else, any other starter in the majors last year. Landon Roop throws a great curve. Carson Wisdoms throws a great change. Kaiwei Tang has a really, really good slider. I bet you're going to see some, how far can you go with one pitch? And when it's done, we'll find another guy to come in and take your place. Um, I kind of think that may be the wave of the the pitching future for the Giants the next couple of years. This is, this is, I, I'm exasperated. I can't even put into <laughs> words because if you told me that this was the case at the beginning of the off season, I would have said, no way, you can't take this type of a risk. It's two years in a row that they've missed the playoffs. Fans are just utterly upset and for good reason with the way that the franchise has transitioned out of the Bruce Bochy era and into the Gabe Kapler era following the 107-win season. They weren't able to capitalize. They didn't spend money, and I don't know. I mean, this, this I guess, leads us to the next question is, there are still so many free agents out there, Roger, and the Giants are one of the teams that, theoretically has money left to spend. They, at least they should have money left to spend, uh, whereas a lot of other teams seem priced out. So Blake Snell, Jordan Montgomery, Matt Chapman, Jorge Soler, what do they do here? Uh, do they add multiple guys? Do they add one guy? Is it possible they don't add anyone and just roll into the season as is? I mean, I think you and I have both used the term bold a few times this offseason. Like, when are the Giants going to get bold? And and maybe that's a weird question to ask since we've just spent 15 minutes talking about this crazy, <laughs> risky are. gamble they're going to, to make on the pitching side. But then you read about they're in staring. I just before we got on, John Morosi, they're in a staring contest with Jorge Soler. Uh, it seems like they've been in a staring contest with Matt Chapman for, for weeks. A staring and it's like, contest with Jorge Soler. The Giants need to get over themselves. <laughs> well, I mean, I, yeah. And it, so there's a difference between bold and risky, but is a third year to Jorge Soler in 2026 for a roster that has very few um, uh, guaranteed dollars. Is that really going to hamstring you in any way? If Matt Chapman turns into Evan Longoria, did Evan Longoria stop the Giants from doing anything they needed to do? Was he no. bad to have around? What is really the downside of that fourth or fifth year for these guys who could help them right now? Yeah. And and here's the other thing. It's not going to be Farhan's money or team if if you get to a third or fourth year and those guys don't pan out and the young pitching doesn't pan out. If the young pitching pans out, it'll solve a lot of problems. You can absorb that third or fourth year 
for Matt Chapman. You can absorb that second or third year for Jorge Soler, who I bet the Giants look at the Teoscar Hernandez contract and try to do something similar. <laughs> but Teoscar Hernandez has some motivation to join the Dodgers. He can win a ring. Jorge Soler doesn't have any motivation to join the Giants and play at Oracle Park. Uh, so I, I could see him wanting that third year on a deal with them. And maybe they just do the Mitch Haniger contract all over again. You know, three years, 43 million and say, have at it. But yeah, I... I mean, I mean they, they they need offense on this team. The 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 team tanked last year when the offense stopped hitting, mm-hmm. and mostly, with the exception, major exception maybe of signing Lee, who I hope brings a new element to their offense. They've seen offense go out the door. They've got to do something to get power back. I mean, you hope that Marco Luciano really provides some impact, but they need some avenues for offense. I think. Yeah, I mean, best case scenario for the San Francisco Giants right now is they discover that three or four of these guys are really worth keeping around long term, that maybe Patrick Bailey really steps up at the plate this year and he's the same behind the plate as a catcher and he's worth signing to an extension and buying out some arbitration years. Maybe Marco Luciano hits the scene and he really is the shortstop of the future. And Kyle Harrison, you decide you want him alongside Logan Webb for the foreseeable future. If that happens you're still going to have money left over. Even if everything goes right and you want to sign three or four players to long-term extensions and buy out their arbitration years and figure that out, look at the Atlanta Braves and what they've done. You still have money in the long run when you develop your homegrown guys and sign them to extensions because it's not nearly the cost of signing a a Bryce Harper in free agency for $330 million, a a Trey Turner in free agency for $300 million. And we know that the Giants struggle to sign free agents, that even if they want to give someone $325 million, like they wanted to give Yoshinobu Yamamoto, (laughs) those guys probably aren't going to take it. So money really shouldn't be an issue for the San Francisco Giants because you're relying now, you're committed now to your homegrown prospects who will never cost you as much as those guys on the open market if you handle those, those players the right way. And if they're great, you still have room to add from the outside. When, when the Giants had this tremendous core that they'd all locked up long-term, Roger, with Buster Posey and Madison Bumgarner and Brandon Belt and Brandon Crawford, they still could sign Johnny Cueto and Jeff Samarja to a combined $225 million worth, right. of, worth of deal. And that was back in 2016. So this is not preventing them from doing anything. It's just, you know, do you want to give Jorge Soler a third year? At which case... The staring contest to me, if you're going to get in a staring contest with Jorge Soler, what are we doing? Over one year and what, 18 million, (laughs) maybe? Yeah, that (laughs) that is where you would like a little more boldness. And and the other thing is, um, I totally agree with your sort of best case scenario. Um, But we also need to be clear eyed about the fact that if you look at projections, they're not bullish on some of these best case scenarios. Marco Luciano's projections are very bad pretty much across the board, which, yeah. you know, not not surprising for how little time and the strikeout rate. Um, Patrick Bailey's, I think his zips are to be like a 75 or 80 WRC plus guy. I mean, um, there's not a lot of belief in the young bats right now in the projection systems I've seen. They like the depth, the like the depth of arms, you know, that's why you keep seeing 80, 81 wins, but I don't see a lot of breakout predictions coming. So maybe the Giants internally are higher than that in their projections and all projections come with tails. You know, you can have really good outcomes, but right now is 
our breakouts for the young bats and young pitchers something you want to be mortgaging your house on? No, no, which is why this is such a season of extremes in my mind. You know, you, you could hit on all these guys. You could hit on some of them and have that 81 win season where you're, uh, you know, doing doing the old soft rebuild of we were in it until the final week of the season because there's seven teams that make the playoffs now on the National League wild card is going to be decided at 83, 84 wins because really the NL Central is no good and the Padres aren't as good as they were last year. The Diamondbacks are a middling team if, you know, uh, they have a, a few injured guys. So it's just... Then the extreme is, what if everything goes wrong? What if these pitchers aren't good and these hitters' projections look exactly like what we anticipate could be possible? Then you're talking about a team that, I, I don't I don't know what comes of that. Did Bob Melvin really sign up to guide <laughs> a multi-year rebuild? Or did Bob Melvin get sold on the idea that they were going to sign Yoshinobu Yamamoto for $325 million dollars? or they were going to sign Blake Snell and his price was too high. And so they let him go elsewhere or they were going to bring in Matt Chapman, but they didn't want to give him that fifth year because if I'm Bob Melvin right now, I'm not happy. If I'm Bob Melvin, I'm looking at this roster. Like, are you kidding me Farhan? It's, you know, it's interesting. Everyone talks about how tough it is being in the NL West because of the Dodgers. But as you say, it's actually, very advantageous to be in the NL itself because the NL is oh, weak. Yeah. Seattle won 88 games last year and didn't go to the playoffs, right? Yeah. Toronto is a good team. I mean, there are good teams not going to the playoffs in the American League. There are bad teams going to the playoffs in the NL. So you have an advantage, actually. There are bad in- teams making the World Series in the National League. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it helps having a six-and-a-half win rookie uh, and two really exactly. good pitchers. I actually yeah. like what uh, I actually like what Arizona has done this. this oh, winter. I do too. Yeah. yeah, I say I say that in jest. I love their kind of young athletic team. I think it plays really well at Chase Field. I like the additions that they made this off season. Eduardo Rodriguez solidifying that rotation. I already always been a Merrill Kelly guy because the guy lights up mm-hmm. the San Francisco Giants. Yes. So, and they I mean, and they have another. You know, they've got they've got their own Luciano coming in Jordan Lawler. Except, yeah, he doesn't have to be good right there's mm-hmm. there's enough stuff around them so i kind of like what they're doing well i guess what one thing you're getting at that has been confusing me a lot this winter is what seems to me is the gap between expectations publicly set expectations and behavior because they are behaving like a team that wants to try and be in it but see what they have and develop and then maybe you know next year or the year down the line they're ready to come together but that's not the way they message. And, yeah. And that's really confusing to me because there does seem to be a, a, a gap there. I, I think so. And what's also striking to me is the way they've begun to shape messaging on social media, which a lot of people could say, oh, that doesn't matter. It absolutely matters in the way that you're interacting with your fan base. I saw an ad this morning of Logan Webb and the Giants Clubhouse. It was a really well-produced ad of Logan Webb, who's clearly the face of this franchise, and the Giants are fortunate to have him. They're incredibly lucky that he signed the deal that he did because he's worth so much more than the five-year, $90 million contract that he got from this team. But it was Logan Webb talking about Patrick Bailey. It was Logan Webb talking about Casey Schmidt and Tyler Fitzgerald and Marco Luciano. It was Logan Webb pointing to a picture of Louis Matos. I'm thinking, 
you know, at the outset of this off season, I would have predicted that all those guys would have had to fight for their roster spots. And this is something we've talked about before on this podcast. Right now, they're fighting among each other for at-bats, fighting yeah. among each other for innings. And the messaging, ultimately, the social media team has to work with what it has to work with. But right now, they've given them a team that looks like it's it's rebuilding. It looks yeah. like it's trying to sell hope instead of sell, you know, a, a concrete version of what the Giants should be this year. And there is a massive disconnect because I would like to hear what their expectations are publicly once again at the outset of spring training. We will from Bob Melvin mm -hmm. and Farhan Zaidi. Of course, they're going to be optimistic and positive, but we'll, we will notice a tone change if they don't say playoffs or they don't say, you know, deep into the postseason or, or use those words. If they just say compete, that's the sign that this, this organization is not where it wanted to be comes come yeah. the start of spring training. But yeah, absolutely. They, they keep saying they play it. They, their plan is to go to playoffs, but they haven't built what looks like a playoff roster. The main acquisition is a 25 year old coming from Korea off a broken ankle. I mean, that's, that's not Aaron judge or Shohei Otani. <laughs> and, and yeah, Kyle Harrison is starting game two and Marco Luciano is at short with Tyler Fitzgerald and Casey Schmidt behind him. That's a rebuild. Yeah, <laughs> that's a rebuild. That's the Detroit Tigers. I've actually the Detroit Tigers are in front of them in rebuilding uh, because yeah. they've already had these guys playing for a while. Exactly. So and the Tigers signed Javi Baez. They signed Eduardo Rodriguez during their rebuild. I mean, you can still spend money during a rebuild and it can still be a rebuild. So you're absolutely right about that. So what are they doing, Carrie? <laughs> are they competing <laughs> or are they rebuilding? <laughs> if you ask me right now, at this moment, I'd say rebuilding, but by Friday, they could be competing because if you sign Solaire <laughs> and you sign Snell, the National League, the gap is that thin. Oh, yeah, it really is. Yeah, I mean, is. if you sign those two guys, all of a sudden you're thinking, hmm, maybe we package Mason Black and Carson Wisenhunt and go out and get us a, another bat. Or, or maybe we package two young pitchers and go out and get one established major league starter who's good. Uh, because this could change in a matter of moments with the available players who are out there. I yeah. mean, the White Sox fully anticipated to trade Dylan Cease this offseason. I don't know that they won't. Dylan Cease could be pitching for a different team. He's probably reported to Camelback Ranch already, and he wants to get out of Shohei Mania over there with, with the Dodgers in camp. So I, I don't know. I mean, they could very much in – the blink of an eye look like they're competing, but right now it is definitively a rebuild in my mind, Roger. Yeah, I guess uh, now thinking about it, two years ago, what Jock Peterson signed while I was in Scottsdale, I think, um, yeah. watching the minor leaguers. Um, it is amazing. They could be competing by Friday. I wonder if they're, the staring contest is they're hoping to get 2022 or 2023 Cody Bellinger contract. They're hoping to get somebody's pillow contract, right? The, somebody's going to say, okay, I just wanted to prove it deal. And that's yeah. what they're looking for. That one year, two year deal with somebody where they can, you know, outfox the market and then add them without having the long-term um, constraint. The issue for me in that regard, and I, I think that you're probably right on the giants thinking that way. The issue for me is, I think the San Francisco Giants, because of where their roster is at and how their ballpark plays for hitters, their pillow contract is a Michael Conforto, as opposed to the Cubs 
having a former National League MVP trying to get it right because they play at Wrigley Field and right. in a division that's eminently winnable in the Central, as opposed to Jorge Soler is looking at Oracle Park and saying, I could probably do better than one year, 20 million here. I could probably go to the Pittsburgh Pirates for one year and 20 million, hit the ball out to left field at PNC and figure it out and have just as good of a chance of getting traded at the deadline, if not a better chance of getting traded at the deadline to up that value. So I I just, their pillow contracts look like one year guys with opt outs come with major flaws, whereas other teams don't deal with that. And I think if they are thinking that way, then they haven't correctly scouted the market. But I also think that they might be thinking that way. <laughs> so I would feel a whole lot better with uh, one out of column A and one out of column B uh, joining the club in the next week or so. Uh, yeah. so. I mean, we've been talking about go get Matt Chapman and Blake Snell for like three months, it feels like. And I'm still kind of there. I feel yeah. a lot better. I, I mean, what or when when does the grainy video through the fence start? When, when we only see Harrison's throw and we don't see the catchers. That is that Tuesday? <laughs> is that Wednesday this week? I, I think that's Wednesday, isn't it? Yeah. Do you have I'm, do you have people on the ground getting ready for their I, grainy video? I, I've I've been so so out of the grainy video game for so long now, Roger. <laughs> that uh, you know th- this will be the first spring that I missed though in thirteen years. Thirteen straight years of spring training, and I, I won't be able to get there for this one. So I'm I'm uh, sad. It's, that is sad. It's disappointing to me because it's the best time of year to watch baseball. It's it's last year it was cold. And that shocked me. I didn't even pack long pants. I got out oh. there. I'm like, what is going on with the cold? And I was out there at Papago freezing the whole time. Uh, yeah. So this year I'll check the, the weather. But generally it's warm and sunny and that makes me feel happy. Oh, um, the best. Well, with that, are we are we done for today? Yeah, Let, let's Great, be done for today so that, we can, so that we can put out the episode and then the Giants could sign someone after that. Because I, I think that with each passing moment, they've got to do something, right? With any luck, they've signed somebody <laughs> while we were talking and we just missed it. Exactly. <laughs> All right, Carrie, I will talk to you again sometime soon. And uh, hopefully the next time we talk, we'll talk about something that happened and not something we wish happened. Perfect. Sounds great to me, Roger. Someday.